don't allow yourself to be blinded by the purity of your own vision. I've just seen too many people that are so convinced that their vision is pure and presents the best and only solution to a problem that they fail to see when some of their assumptions are flawed. It, being an entrepreneur requires great intellectual curiosity, but also intellectual honesty. You really need to be nimble, humble, self-aware, and honest so you can adapt and recalibrate. Drive and focus are really important, but honesty and the ability to process what you're learning, even if it means you need to pivot or call it a day, is really, really important. And everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, and we're always here to chat and help out. Now, today we have another great uh, guest on the, the podcast, Van Goffner. And uh, Van, as a quick introduction, uh, grew up in and around New York, um, had a lawn mowing business in high school, went to college in Columbia, um, first job got into investment banking in New York, did that for about 10 years, left corporate America, and for about 20, er, uh, and uh, met a co-founder of what the, is the business he's doing now, which is Space for Art, started out as, uh, as an online community had some evolutions and pivots and that uh, brings a, a bit to where he's at today and we'll get into that further so with that much as an introduction welcome on the podcast man thanks very much Devin. it's a pleasure to be with you today absolutely so i just gave a much longer journey and condensed it into 20 or 30 <laughs> seconds so let's un- let's unpack that a bit and uh, tell us a little bit about how your journey got uh, started and uh, growing up around new york oh you know it's uh it, you know, it's it, it's a series of coincidences, but um, the fun part of the story is that my mother dropped out of college when she was 19. It was 1946, and she, she I don't know how she talked her, my grandparents into this, but she went to New York to become an actress, and she did. She was a Broadway actress, <laughs> and um, it, it, in, a, in a golden age of New York City in the 40s and 50s, but in New York, um, she met my dad, and my dad was from Sweden and was living and working in New York City at the time, and hmm. everybody stayed in New York. <laughs> hey, it makes sense, and uh, it's, uh, it's a fun place to be, and sounds like you, you that we're able to set down some roots there. So now as you're, you're in New York and you know, growing up with the family, and that's where you're at, and then you're going through high school there, and I think that kind of your uh, first initial entrepreneur endeavor so to speak was to do a the a, a, a lawn mowing business is that right, right. you know it, it, it's it, yes I was growing up in the suburbs around New York City and you know like so many of us you're scrambling around for some money in your pocket and doing odd jobs and all of a sudden somebody hires you to cut their grass and you've got a business that's growing hmm. you, you know I look around today and I think that's hard to do with lawn service companies and things but I had a thriving lawn mowing business and it was, there was enough going on that, um, you know, my best buddy and I were very busy and had to get other people to work with us because we just couldn't do it all. Um, and so the entrepreneurial journey began. Mm. And, you know, and I, it, it's funny that many years later, um, my buddy who, you know, we were, we had been friends since kindergarten and 
um, he had left the area, um, had been out west. He came back to the New York area. Oh, you know, this is 20 years after high school, 15 years after high school. And he sends me a note and he, and it says, we never should have stopped cutting grass. And it was attached to a, um, an annual report for a lawn service company with a billion dollars of revenue. And we had, we've had a good laugh over that over the years that we just should have kept going. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's a, it's a good opportunity and you should have just stuck with it. And maybe you're, you would have been that billion dollar company, or you could have been like a lot of the high schoolers that have their, yeah, could, their, right. their, their company and it never goes anywhere. So who knows what right. the future could have held, but right. So now you, you, so you do that in high school, you kind of get a, a dip, a bit of a toe into entrepreneurship and uh, otherwise uh, get a, a feel for that. And then you go off to college to, to Columbia. Is that, and I can't remember, what did you study uh, or in college or, or how did the college experience? Yeah I, yeah, I did end up at Columbia. It was all of 10 miles from my drive, childhood driveway. Um, you know, it's a lack of imagination. I don't know. I, it's, I, I, was, I was a recruited athlete, which didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was a distance runner and the captain of the cross country team at Columbia. But um, I studied economics and political science um, and did a joint degree program with the Graduate School of International Affairs at Columbia as well. So I compressed what should be six years into five. Mm. So now you, so you get the, the degrees and you come out and I think that the first, four, or the first job or the uh, career you went after was in investment banking. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, at the time, it still is. Look, investment banking is at its heart very entrepreneurial, but it's entrepreneurial within a big corporate world. Um, and you can learn a lot. You work hard and you learn a lot, um, which is great. And you're exposed to a lot of different kinds of industries and businesses. No, and I think that, you know, it's a, it, you get a, a, a broad exposure and you get a lot of good experience now. Did you, I think you worked in that industry for about 10 years. Was it all with the same company? Did you move around or get experience now, with different investment bankers or how did that A couple of different out? firms. I started with um, a Swedish firm, actually. Uh, well, not so unusual that I'm half Swedish, um, but spent a long time with um, two big British firms, Kleinwort Benson. Which is no longer, which has been absorbed by other places, and Barclays. Hmm. So now you do those two firms. I'm just curious, you know, what was it? So you started out with the Swedish firm, and then you jumped over to the, the Barclays. What was it, or motivation, or the cause for the, the changing between firms? Was it better opportunity? The one firm fired you. You wanted you made your sweetheart, and you wanted to go live somewhere else, or kind of what was the cause of the transition? You know, it's that um, at the time, based in New York. Um, it was just a better opportunity to go work for the Brits. Um, and it was a great experience because at Kleinworts, I got to work on both the, not only the agency side, but on the principal side hmm. um, and took responsibility, was given responsibility for raising and managing a fund that was ended up being $120 million to invest in mezzanine securities of mid-sized businesses. Okay, well, it makes sense. And so you say, okay, Come along, have a bit of a better opportunity. Make sense, lines up with what you're doing. Now you right. do that, uh, you know, for over the the course of the two in, or investment banking firms for a period of about ten years. And I think at that point, towards the end of the ten years, you decided to um, leave investment banking or leave corporate American general. So, what was kind of the the genesis for deciding to make that departure to go or go do something else or chase something else? Yeah, well, there are two things. Um, one is that I, I really 
am passionate about working with smaller and mid-sized companies that are growing rapidly. And all the strategic issues, you know, operational, strategic, financial associated with growth. So now and, I'll go ahead. And, and the other thing is that in the big corporate world, you're always subject to corporate changes of mind. We're oh, we're going to go this way. No, now we're going to go this way. So now you, you say, okay, I've got you know a couple motivating. Hey, I want to be able to not be subject to corporate mind or to have you know kind of those others people in control that change their mind. Or you, you'd say, okay, I'd like to have that a bit of an ability to leave corporate America and do my own thing and be my own boss, so to speak. Right. Now, as you're leaving, was it, hey, I went into my you know went into my boss one day, no no prospects, and said, I quit, I'm done, and I'm I'm leaving. Or did you have something in place or something you were already pursuing or a passion project or kind of as you're making that transition out from corporate America, what was that transition or how did you find figure out what you were going to do? Right. Um, well, the Barclays was in the process of selling part of their U.S. operations, and I was part of that. It's like you know, this is just, this is just not fun. It's really not fun. Mm. And so, I had some clients that wanted to keep working with me. So it was a, it wasn't the the grandest leap of faith at all. Because there were folks that said, yeah, we want to keep working with you, Pam, hmm. whether you're sitting at Barclays or not. So off I went. So now off you went to where? In other words, did you start your own firm? Did you bring right. on clients? I started, work, I started working on my own. Hmm. So now, and so you, you started working on your own and, you know, you, I assume you set up kind of a one-man shop or a small firm. You were working with the clients that followed along. Did you also develop other clients or kind of? What was right. that transition? You, you know, it, look, it's it's like in anything. It's all about networking, right? And somebody makes an introduction to somebody else. And one thing leads to another. So, and, in, in, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I was ultimately introduced over after a couple of years of being on my own to this fellow who was in fintech. Hmm. And... Um, he had been one of the executives that built what was called Instanet, which was one of the first electronic trading systems in the um, that really took off in the early 80s. Um, but he was on an, working on a new venture. Um, we hit it off. Um, I became a long-term advisor to him um, the, on the board of his company um, and helped build that. Um, and that relationship led to a number of other relationships um, and other opportunities over the years. Um, and you, you just work the network and meet people. So. So now you so you branch out, you say, okay, I'm bringing along some people. I'm going to network and I meet some more. I grow the firm a bit and, you know, continue to uh, find success there. Now, how does that plan? Because at some point along that journey, you also jumped into space for arts. In other words, right. it was you know, a bit of an artist community and that's evolved and we dive into that. But that seems like a fairly large departure. So, you know, investment banking, working for others and you're saying, okay, I want to do my own thing and be able to capture my own ship, but you stay in the same realm. How did you train or how did your journey take it, you to space it, for it, art? It's not as big a leap as you might have thought. Um, so again, networking, right? I was approached by a friend who said, hey, I know these folks that are starting a business 
And they asked, and this guy was a treasury trader at Goldman Sachs. And he said, they approached me to help them. But I said, damn, I'm just a trader. I don't know how to help, help you do anything, but I know this guy, <laughs> hmm. me. Um, so I was introduced to this team that was launching an online community for visual artists. Um, and I helped them structure the business and get their first funding and um, worked with them for many years. In fact, my and that is where one of those founders is my co-founder in Space for Arts. And you can see the head in the background there, um, who is also now my wife, um, <laughs> waving. <laughs> No, and that, that makes it fun. So now, so you, you met the founder. Now, how did it transition into doing space for arts? In other words, was that just a kind of grew out of that project or you became passionate about it or kind of what made you decide to, to shift it, it that? It grew process? out of it. And remember, space for arts is a B2B marketplace for professional production spaces, spaces mm -hmm. that are dedicated and equipped for photo, video, film, and TV production. And Space, uh, Art ID, the previous business, um, was a community for visual arts professionals. And with the advent of the sharing economy, you sort of think about all these visual artists and how they have a space in which they create, but they don't use it all the time. So is there a play associated with the sharing economy and getting them to share their space in a, in a marketplace? like Airbnb, excuse me. But as you look at that, it becomes a really bad idea. Um, and it, because visual artists, one, aren't particularly commercial and they don't really wanna share their private space where they create. But it, within that community, there were a, a bunch of photographers. And we, in talking to them, we understood understood that whereas somebody who's painting a watercolor, they're on their own journey and they hope that somebody will appreciate their work. A photographer, for example, may show in, on this old business, may show their work as their passion project, but how they make their money is by, driven by corporate demand. They are paid to go shoot a fashion shoot a portrait shoot, a lifestyle shoot, something. And that was the light bulb moment that it's driven by corporate demand. And by the way, the production spaces that they use, it isn't it very, it most for the most part is not shared space. It's people who are in the business of renting that space. They, they've already, those people already want to find ways to raise their profiles. So you weren't talking people into doing something they, were all, they weren't already doing. So there was, it was a really natural and needed, um, needed resource for these folks. Look, the, the, the way photo studios and video production spaces are, are found and booked has not changed since the yellow pages and the telephone came together. It's really stuck in the you know, mid 20th century pen and paper workflows. So this is a real significant opportunity for us to, to dominate the vertical. No, and I think that definitely uh, makes sense as far as the opportunity and where the vertical uh, exists and uh, how it uh, might all play out. 
Now, with, with all that in mind, you know, so you, you jump in, you say, okay, we're going to branch out from the original business, do space for arts, kind of go dive into that. Was it one that uh, was well accepted? You had a lot of people, a lot of demand. Was it one where you had to work within the com community and build up the reputation? Or how did that kind of transition go as you're, as you're right. making that or carving that space out? Right. Well, look, um, the starting point was the proverbial kitchen table and the pot of coffee mapping it all out. And at the end, the pot of coffee is a bottle of wine and you're a genius. We're grownups. <laughs> you, know, you know, we had ideas and assumptions. And the first thing we did is that we used some, some off-the-shelf technology to go and test and validate our assumptions. To make, you know, we could, some off-the-shelf technology, we modestly customized it. And my co-founder went to meet studios in New York City and creative professionals and really dove into the customer and the experience and the user experience. And we found very quickly that it was, it, people were like, really? This is great. We really need this. Thank you. Um, and we also learned that the industry has an extraordinarily unusual process for booking spaces. And that if you can accommodate that established business practice, and we have filed a business process patent in our, in our automation of that, you could go from merely being a discovery platform to providing a workflow SaaS solution that drove that marketplace and powered it and as a result become the default solution and the system of record for the creative community. But it was really important to roll your sleeves up and really know the customers and spend time talking to them. Then we raised some money, friends and family, to build the platform that you see today. And now we're out for our first institutional round. It does sound like an awesome journey and sounds like it's been a bit of an evolution to figure out exactly what that place is and how to, to position it and you've done it well and now it's uh continuing on to build into into further success so with that is that kind of now brings us up to a bit you know where you've been and the, now up to the, the present it's a great time to transition to a couple questions I always ask at the end of each journey um which is the first question i always ask is within the journey and along the journey what was the worst business decision you ever made and what'd you learn from it the the worst business decisions have always been around people um, and, and, it, and it can cut both ways, right? It can be making a hiring decision too quickly because you really feel you need the, to fill the role and get on with it. But it can equally be not cutting loose and saying this person isn't working and either moving them into a different role or separating from them. It, those always lead to, those are always the worst decisions. And you always learn that you, to be better at doing it and better at looking for the signals and moving on. No, that definitely makes sense. And, uh, and certainly is a, an area that, uh, you know, people can make mistakes and oftentimes are the areas that uh, you, you learn the most from. So second question I always ask is, you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, well, there, there are a couple of things that link together. Um, and the first one is, is that don't allow yourself to be blinded by the purity of your own vision. I've just seen too many people that are so convinced 
that their vision is pure and presents the best and only solution to a problem that they fail to see when some of their assumptions are flawed. It, being an entrepreneur requires great intellectual curiosity, but also intellectual honesty. You really need to be nimble, humble, self-aware, and honest so you can adapt and recalibrate. Drive and focus are really important, but honesty and the ability to process what you're learning, even if it means you need to pivot or call it a day, is really, really important. And you get that from listening. You have to listen to all the constituencies, potential users, customers, clients, partners, vendors, understand what they're telling you, both directly and indirectly, and process the information in order to adapt. You know, surround yourself by people that are really smart, smarter than you, ideally, and take advantage of that. I definitely agree. And I think, you know, having that uh, group of influence and I would say, you know, people oftentimes, whether it's smarter, just have, you know, different areas of experience. It's always right. good to have people that even what intelligence IQ aside or, you know, regardless, that have different experiences that can offer different viewpoints and, and provide a better sounding board, a fuller approach to things, give you different perspectives and different ways of viewing things or tackling things definitely can have that uh, great impact on your business because it's hard to know everything, to be able to anticipate everything, to be able to do everything as an entrepreneur. And so to have that uh, or that sphere of influence definitely is uh, makes a big impact. Well, as people, as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to use your space, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, so um, our, the, our platform is spaceforarts.com. And my e- reach out to me by email, van, V-A-N, at spaceforarts.com. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, check out the website and reach out to Van if you need any or all of the above. Um, and with that, thank you again, Van, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to have you on the podcast and share it. You can just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Also, make sure to li- or click subscribe, share, leave us a review, because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all of these awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time to chat. Well, thank you again, Van, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. All right. Be well. Thanks very much.